Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And guys, um, I, 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 I don't know how to say this, but uh, we're, we're not alone on this Zoom call. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> there is no. another. Ah! I'm so sorry for your ears, everybody who is listening. Uh, but yes, we have our first guest. <laughs> Hello. If you recognize that voice... That's because it's from another Vider Media project or product. Prod- project. You're a product, product, Michael. That's all you're good for. You're just a product in the. You're a cog oh, in the machine. No. That's right. It is the host of the Flea Pit, Michael Ruiz. Michael, tell us a little bit about yourself for the listeners. Hello, my name is Michael. Um, I am the chief creative officer at Vider Media. I help do all this fun background stuff, like post online and uh, mainly record boomerangs and that sort of thing. Um, I have my own show on Vider Media. It's called The Flea Pit, where I discuss things that are going on in film news, TV news, um, basically all things entertainment, go into all that stuff. Um, I'm also uh, a former member of the show that this show used to be, which caused me to nearly say I'm Michael right before Elijah, because that was the old order. So <laughs> I, I'm pretty well connected to these guys. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We've got a great episode. Doug? What are we talking about this week? Well, Ben, I'm glad you asked. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking today about the 2010 smash hit from DreamWorks Animation Studios, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, Came out in 2010, directed by Chris Sanders, Dean DeBlois. Okay, let me say that. Let me try that again. (laughs) Dean DeBlois. 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 I don't know. Alright, bottom line. Um, it, uh, it stars Jay Baruchel, Gerard Butler, America Ferreira, Craig Ferguson, Christopher Mintzplass, I know I just butchered his name, Jonah Hill, Kristen Wiig, TJ Miller, uh, and uh, uh, various others. Um, and this movie made a killing, folks. Um, it's, uh, it's the story of a young Viking teenager named Hiccup. Uh, on the island of Burke, and it tells the story of, well, you know, how he trained his dragon. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, this movie made a killing at the box office, 494.9 million U.S. box office. Uh, it's rated phenomenally. I think it's the highest rated movie we've covered on the show so far. 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, 75% on Metacritic, 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. And once again, because Google wow. apparently is ranking movies as 94% on there. All right. Well, thank you, Doug. Now, Mike, uh, when we first decided that we were going to talk about How to Train Your Dragon, you were like, I want to be on that episode. So tell us, why are you here? Well, goodness. I mean that in the (laughs) nicest way possible. I'm really happy that you're here. Thank you. It's only slightly antagonistic of a question. In in general, (laughs) I um. So when I was when I was a kid and growing up and I was I was kind of getting into movies. Uh, this film came out in 2010, if I'm not mistaken, and that was a really big year for film. That was a really big year for me because I was I was 14 at the time. Feel free to age me if you if you are so inclined. Um, and you had Inception, you had Toy Story 3, and you had this, and it was just a really really good year for movies. Um, I just got really into it. I got really into the score. And I was roughly Hiccup's age at the time. I think he's 15 in that film, and I was 14 at the time. And with the exception of the third one, I aged with him as the trilogy kind of went on. So I I always felt uh, a good kindred spirit with Hiccup, and I've just always thought this was some of the best animated storytelling I've seen. 
uh, from DreamWorks and kind of in the whole animation film sector as a whole. So, um, yeah, I'm really into this one. I'm glad to be here. All right. Well, we are very glad you were here. Uh, you talked about uh, your experience with this movie a little bit. Personally, uh, I had seen uh, this movie exactly one time. And it's because Doug and I went to Second of Charles a couple months ago. We bought an entire box of movies for $25, and this was in there. And I was like, I've never seen this, so I'm taking it. Yep. We had a whole, we did a whole live stream about <laughs> it's true. it. true. You can check it out on Facebook. I think it's still there. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. Me too. Did you ever actually get to watch it, though, Ben? Because I know that your copy was very scratched up. Uh, I didn't, but I ended up uh, renting it on YouTube. Nice. So I still watched it. Um, but just not the copy that I, you know, I, I, I bought. So we lied to our listeners. Uh, I mean, it's not the first time. Hey, oh. good point. <laughs> I, uh, I have seen this movie a couple times, actually. Uh, I don't know if y'all remember, but, uh, FX, um, uh, they, uh, the, uh, the cable channel, um, they, uh, they would show movies just basically all the time it was either two and a half men or it was a movie and <laughs> how to train your dragon was one of the movies that they showed in place of an episode of two and a half two and a half men um and they they showed it a the lot of choice this one they showed this and they showed kung fu panda 2 not kung fu panda 1 but kung fu panda 2 <laughs> that, that if you wanted to watch singular entries from a DreamWorks franchise, FX had you covered. Hey, there you go. Well, like yeah. Mike, I saw the first one when it came out, um, and I've seen it a few times, because I really like it. I like all three of these movies. I rewatched the sequels for the first time in preparation for this. I'm not as obsessed with these movies as Mike is, but I definitely like them. Uh, I'd say they're all great to anybody who brings it up. Well, uh, I, I I didn't see any of these movies until two days ago. Um, uh, this week has been cram the dragon into my brain week. And, wow, uh, that's a good place yeah, to cram a dragon. Cram the dra- I trained it to to anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I grew up with Mikey, and he loved this movie when we were younger. And uh, I heard about it a lot uh, when it came out, and and all that jazz. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I didn't want to see it uh, because he wouldn't stop going on about it. Uh, so uh, here so we are. Sorry. I finally saw. <laughs> it's okay. Very it's... begrudgingly. You know, I remember this came up in conversation once when we were doing a podcast, and Mike went on this happy, positive rant about the score in How to Train Your Dragon, and I'm pretty psyched to have him on this episode to hear him rant about that again. All right, well, let's get right into these positive rants. Mike, tell us about the music. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, wow, you're going to throw me right at the music. I was Absolutely. listening to that on my drive home today. <laughs> so the music in this movie is from John Powell. John is a member of kind of the, the Hans Zimmer ilk, if you will. Like, he has this old posse, uh, Harry Gregson Williams, John Powell. Um, I think Giacchino came from that, too, Michael Giacchino. But... Yeah, he, he had this whole group where they all kind of started going off and doing all the, like, the blah and, like, all that stuff. But John Powell was like, no, I'm going to do incredibly fun and awesome films, like, animated film scores, and they're going to have crazy lit motifs, and it's going to be a good time. And he did, before this, he did Horton Hears a Who, 
which is another vastly underrated film score. Seriously, check that one out. And another movie that I, that I got in that box from Second and Charles. Yeah, the movie is a so-so, but the the score is awesome. And and when it comes to this, this was just a perfect combination. Um, there's a really good video by a YouTuber named Sideways about the score of this movie. But but just to kind of summate it, you have the two themes. You have the like the dragon theme and the Burkean theme. And they literally come together during test flight. And it's like this, the entire score is predicated on the unity between the two characters, the boy and his dragon. And like the first time you hear the full, what people know as the score of how to train your dragon is when you realize that the whole thing is just one positive union of, of it's the culmination of their relationship. And so you have all that going on. You got bagpipes. Who doesn't like bagpipes? You got fun clangy noises when they want to just sound like Vikings you got all the crazy strings. You got trumpets playing octaves above the known frequencies of the universe. <laughs> is a good time. It's a great score. Man, we are a weird group of guys when somebody says, who doesn't like bagpipes? And nobody says, uh, me. <laughs> I mean, bagpipes are incredible. So, I, I guess I didn't, I, I don't know. I, I didn't notice that. I'm not a music, I'm, a, I'm, not, a, I'm not a musician. Except for um, in the road to El Dorado. Well, I mean, I and then he's a musician. <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't say. Any, I didn't say much about the score in the Rodel Dorado. I talked about Elton John's songs. You know, fair. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anything about scores. I I, I, well, I listen to it and I say it's pretty good. And you know, I listened to this one and this movie, and it was it was pretty good. You know, I, I, was, I it was good. It was good. I didn't. I guess I didn't have much else to think about it. But I, I think Mikey's points are pretty pretty valid there. Uh, Mike, I'm a I'm a kind of hop on this train with you because i think i think you're right i think the score in this is something that there's a lot of great things in this movie so i feel like a lot of people the vast majority of people are going to just hear that score i'm really not trying to throw you under the bus tristan this is just going to sound like i am um i feel like you know like a lot of people you know they just hear the score and they're like yeah you know it's just part of the movie but i actually picked up on that this time watching through the uh watching through the first movie because the first movie is the only one in the trilogy that I've seen and I really I really get where you're coming from because it it takes a lot for a score to effectively uh to effectively convey everything that everything that the characters are feeling and doing without having them just say it there's a lot of good quiet still moments you know for a movie that moves as fast as this movie does uh there's a lot of stillness, a lot of quiet moments, and this score really amps that up. Um, it really, it really helps drive home the points that this that the that the story is trying to make as a whole. I, I will say, I think to uh, Tristan's credit, a little bit. Uh, I know this was uh, this was your first time watching it, right? Yeah. Uh, I know, like for me, uh, whenever I'm watching a movie for the first time, the score is not something I always pay attention to, like. It's more like, yeah, it's playing, like, I hear it, and I'm enjoying it, but it's not something that I'm going to, like, hyper-focus on the first time I watch a, a film. And I think most of the general public is also like that. Um, I mean, everything you said about the score is absolutely true. It's beautiful. It's uh, I really like what you said about, like, how the, like, you've got the Burkean theme and the Dragon theme that kind of, like, play into each other. It reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about last week with August Rush. Because uh, you had, um, like, both of his parents who have their own style of music and, like, throughout the movie, they're, like, weaving in and out with each other. 
and just like syncing up perfectly and i think you get the same kind of thing with uh, how to train your dragon yeah and i don't i don't mean to say that i i i didn't really notice it i definitely i, I heard it and it um like i i remember thinking in certain spots that it sounded really cool um it's just not quite like you know interstellar where you're in the vastness of space and you hear a, a big blah from uh uh, from my friend Hans Zimmer, so you know, old Zimmy boy, yeah. No, the um, I, I one other point I guess I wanted to make about the score, and this kind of ties into the this is Burke storyline, or the rather, excuse me, the this is Burke opening monologue that kind of encompasses not only this film but its sequels. Um, the the musical cues that you get, the first thing you hear is the Burkean theme, but then you hear every other theme in the movie except for the dragon theme. Which is why the first time you hear it, and it's played on bagpipes, which in this film score kind of signifies foreignness, really like hits hard on how alienated the dragons are from the villagers and the Vikings themselves. So what, that's what's really cool is when you go back and you listen to This is Burke is the name of the track, you have this quick breeze through of every single theme you're about to hear, except for the dragon theme. And it's just a very intricate intricately put together score and i think even if you're not me and you don't get into the nitty-gritty of this stuff like um like when when you see stuff like the the big romantic flight between uh, hiccup and astrid and you have like those sweeping strings and all the cool visuals because the animation is really really good in this movie uh i i just think it stands out really well yeah absolutely uh so i think that serves as a good transition to uh, you know getting into the animation because while DreamWorks is not Disney, uh, DreamWorks is also often heralded for the quality of their animation uh, between How to Train Your Dragon, Shrek, Kung Fu Panda. Like, you've got some really quality animation. All the animation and design and art in these movies is beautiful. It's hard to look away. I, uh, I just kind of want to hop in here and just say this. So I think I think what Ben says is absolutely right. I mean, clearly... DreamWorks is not Disney. However, even though DreamWorks would not be possible without Disney, thanks, thanks Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't feel like DreamWorks is in a place anymore where they really should be compared to Disney because there are very clear, there are clearly things that DreamWorks does better than there are certain areas of animation that DreamWorks does better than Disney, and there are areas of animation where Disney does better than DreamWorks. And I think one of the best things that DreamWorks animation does as a whole is they know how to animate movement. And I think... I I honestly don't think Disney has anything that compares to it. The closest I can think to the closest I can think of is the scene in the first Incredibles where Dash is running on the water through the pillars. That's the closest thing I can think of that comes even close to the kind of animation that DreamWorks is able to do with movement. I mean, when they show scenes of Hiccup and Toothless flying, uh, whether it be just in clear skies. Uh, and above the clouds, I mean, that's gorgeous. You really do feel that movement. You feel the wind in his air. Or when they go point of view and they take you whizzing and uh, just kind of curling in and out of all these tight corners, and you just feel that movement so clearly, so viscerally. It's gorgeous, and I love it. 
It's one of those things to where um, I, I think this is kind of a watershed moment for DreamWorks because this is when the gap between what's perceived as like a AAA animated feature and like what DreamWorks can accomplish kind of gets shortened to me. Like um, when like they're kind of second only to Pixar, and I think there's this kind of confusion between the delineation between Walt Disney Pictures animation. And Pixar, for example, Zootopia, Walt Disney Picture, um, Wreck-It Ralph, Walt Disney Picture, uh, Toy Story is Pixar, of course. Yeah, that's something I was gonna bring up. Like, uh, Doug, you were talking yeah. about Dash and the Incredibles. That that's Pixar. Yes, I understand that that is Pixar, but my point, <laughs> my point that I'm making is, I mean, I think, I personally think that DreamWorks does movement better than Pixar. If you if you want my personal take on it. I mean, like I said, I think the closest they've ever gotten was Dash, and that was in 2004. And, I mean, Pixar does great animation, but, like, animating, like, that kind of movement isn't something that they're looking to do. DreamWorks has poured time and effort into doing it, and they are phenomenal at it, and they do it consistently every single time. Oh, yeah, for sure. And the the thing with that is, um, I think DreamWorks kind of gets knocked on the photorealism because I think one of Pixar's strengths is they only do photorealism and they've honed in on that to the point where certain shots look like live action. But I think you find certain shots in this and especially to me, uh, the second movie in this trilogy, some of the shots of the glaciers are completely photorealistic. Pretty much any time they're flying through the clouds. Yeah. And it's just the specialization they have on movement. I think they might even beat Pixar in. Yeah. Uh, the, for me, the first, one of the first things I noticed that I liked about this movie was uh, when Hiccup is at the very beginning when he causes some chaos unintentionally, and um, his his dad gets really angry with him, and it's I think it's his dad pleading with him or like just basically like scolding him kind of, and it's his face, it's his facial movement, like the way his eyes are. And the way they move back and forth, and then just like it, 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 it was, it was real. Like it felt, like that's how a real person, it, you know, says these things and and does them. Like that, that was, that was so cool. That was like I, I didn't, I didn't forget that, and I looked for it, and I saw it several other times too as the movie went on, um, especially towards the end. With um, there was a lot of emotion at the very end, and just characters, their faces were like like they had their best animators working on those faces i don't know man like it was it was really impressive and not just the human characters but the dragons um toothless you know is teased as being an antagonist but we end up very quickly coming to sympathize with him and see that he's one of the main characters he's very easy to sympathize with for a number of reasons and one of those reasons is the way they've animated him his face is very expressive, more expressive than a lot of animated people we've seen, and that makes him very instantly likable. And Toothless strikes this balance, this like perfect balance between cute and badass, for lack of a better word, that uh, I've noticed in a lot of characters like Pikachu and Stitch from Lilo and Stitch. I kind of think they all have a similar thing going on. Absolutely, and I think it's like the more you get into uh, both this movie and the trilogy as a whole the more expressive toothless and everybody else gets yeah and this this would tie into the uh kind of the thematic material a little bit but one of the highlights of this mo of this movie to me is when 
his stoic tells his son you're not my son and he leaves and he closes the door and then you have this brief moment where he he kind of realizes the gravity of what he's just said and for a few seconds he's like in despair and then kind of crushes it down and moves on mm-hmm. and like you can read all of that through the emotion uh the emotion placed into the character models by the animators it's it's really incredible stuff uh, there's a there's just one last thing I kind of want to touch on with the uh, with the animation in this is Mike's absolutely right you know you don't get a whole lot of photorealism uh, in the way that DreamWorks animates uh, their pictures but what I do like is they definitely pick a style in which they want their worlds to look like and everything fits perfectly into that style I I think one of the greatest things that this one of the greatest bits of animation that's in this movie is the way that both gases and fire is animated because it all looks like something you... It looks completely unique to this film. Like, the fire that you're seeing these dragons spew does not work in any other film. It only works in this universe. And I just think that's very... That's great attention to detail and it just makes the movie that much more unique and that much more uh i can't think of the word um just i mean special uh, fleshed out yeah palpable it, thank you thank you it makes the world really feel lived in yeah i love that world building yeah you know i don't know anything about animating really but i have heard that water is notoriously uh difficult to animate so that it looks realistic and i think these movies do a really good job with that too so along with uh gases and fire that doug was talking about just all four elements really are beautifully done yeah one of the small little tidbits of world building they do which they they talk about it for one species but it really applies to all of them if you watch it is that the way the dragon's fireworks is when they're inhaling and preparing to shoot fire there's like this sort of tube that opens up and they start generating like gas in there. Mm-hmm. And then they have like a thing that actually sparks the flame in their mouths and then they just exhale. And I thought that was like a really cool way of portraying like dragon fire. And they use it to their advantage because that's how they like defeat certain dragons. It's like by taking advantage of the fact that for that brief moment, it's just a dragon full of explosive material. And I just, I like that little, little thought. I like the thought that went behind that. Like, that's really creative. Yeah, that's how they defeat the big evil dragon at the end. And kind of going off of that, I think the thought they put into every single species of dragon that we see is, like, incredible. Because, like, we only see a handful, but at one point we see Hiccup, like, reading through essentially Wikipedia for dragons. And there are so many different kind of dragons, and every one of them is unique. And I think that's... Like, uh, going back to what Mike was saying about the world building, like, you, there is so much here that could be uh, unpacked and uh, other expanded universe material for them. Hey guys, what's up? It's your pal Ben, and I'm here to interrupt the action with a few announcements. First, I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening. Uh, It honestly means so much to me and the rest of the guys that you would take time out of your daily life and just show some support. So, thank you. Uh, Now, if you're interested in signing up for our Patreon, 
First of all, this is a great week to do it. And do you know why? Well, I'm going to tell you. It's because today we also released our first ever bonus episode. That's right. If you go to patreon.com slash now and sign up, you can listen to us talk about the entire How to Train Your Dragon trilogy. It is an amazing episode. You do not want to miss it. Again, that is patreon.com slash vitermedia. Now, if you sign up, you also get access to some cool behind-the-scenes posts, photos, early access episodes, a whole bunch of other stuff. Again, you do not want to miss out on this. Uh, now, another great way you can support us is by going to our merch store, getting a sticker or a button. We've got a whole bunch of Tea with Doug G's uh, merchandise. We've got some some jerks who talk about movies merchandise. If there's stuff that you want to see us sell in our merch store, hit us up. But yeah, you can check all of that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. That, again, that is vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way for you to support us is just by sharing us with your friends. You meet somebody in the streets, tell them about our podcast. You have a class with somebody, tell them about our podcast. You have some curmudgeon old hobo living outside of your home, tell them about our podcast. It'll be great. And while you're at it, be sure to tell them to follow us on all of our social media accounts at Vitermedia. That's V-I-T-E-R media now if you want to support a specific show what you can do you can go to the show page on whatever platform you're listening on leave us a rating and review we would greatly appreciate it now that's all i've got uh be sure to check out the other vider media products we've got tea with doug g and the flea pit every week now let's get back to the show Another thing I expected to hear when we recorded this episode, in contrast to Mike's happy rants about music, is Tristan's actual angry rant about something. Oh, okay. Is that, do you want me to go? Let me go off? Uh, well, I mean, truthfully, when I, when I first watched this movie, I, I didn't get the hype. I, I guess that's the best way to put it. Like, I... I mean, a lot of that came from Mike growing up, the hype. But I, I, I just, I, I didn't really understand why it was. People thought it was as good as they thought it was. So, um, but I, I mean, after looking at it for a couple of days or thinking about it for a couple of days, um, I, I just think differently now. I, I guess. I mean, it's not, it's not as bad as I thought it was when I first watched it. <laughs> I've had time to marinate on it. I've had time to listen to what you guys have said about it. So I don't really have a rant to go off on it about. I I, um, I will say, though, there is there is one thing I really don't like about the movie. Uh, if we want to go ahead and go into that, I think you all know what it is. That's actually the thing I was talking about. Cool. Well, I don't like Hiccup's <laughs> voice at all. Uh, I think it takes me directly out of the movie. Um, I think it takes me uh, far away from the movie, actually, uh, right uh, right across the pond, in fact. Um, maybe off the planet. I don't get it. Why, why does he sound... I mean, I, like, okay, let me reverse. I get it. He sounds like a dweeb. He's lame. He's scrawny, whatever. Like, I, I get that his voice is supposed to be that. Um, but he doesn't even have, like... He, he's not even close to any anyone else, like, in this culture. Like, his voice... And Mikey, yeah. I know what you're about to say. You're about to say, "Well, it's meant to be like that." That's not actually what I was gonna say. 
Um, I was going to say, and I think it's worth pointing out, y'all know this, but I don't know if everyone listening to this knows this. That is not a character voice. That is Jay's actual speaking voice. He's a 38-year-old man. He talks like that. It is not put on whatsoever. I've heard a lot of people over the uh, past whatever, how long the series has been out, complain that they don't like how childlike he sounds. And I'm like, a near 40-year-old sounds like this. So it's not out of the realm of realism. But I understand you don't like the dweebiness and the nasal. Yeah, I get that. I, I, I don't... It gets better as the movies go on. I will say that. But the first one, it just... I, while I understood like the reasoning, because he's, he's kind of a dweeb, I, I, it still just really took me out of the movie. And, I, and it was hard for me to you know, stay keyed in whenever he started going off about something. Yeah, I, I think for me the thing that always gets me is that I don't expect it. Because, like, you look at the movie poster, and he looks older than he actually is. Because he looks like, you know, mid-20s, into 30s. No, in the first movie, he's like 15. You thought he looked in his 20s in the first movie? In the movie poster. Like, just like, glancing at the movie poster, like, he looks like he could be a young man. And you don't expect the movie to start, and yeah, it's this teenager. (laughs) That's fair. I, I, I thought you were referring to something else, but yeah. Sorry, I, I personally don't really have a problem with Mr. Baruchel's voice, um, mainly because I feel like if I had a problem with his voice, I would have to have a problem with Michael Sarah's voice, and that's not something I'm willing to. <laughs> I'm willing to have a problem with. Okay, I not I, making I wanna, that trade. Let me make it clear. I, I don't dislike the actor or think that he sounds like. No, no, no. no. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying like. It, I mean, it was a choice. It was a choice they made, and they made it, and that's. I mean. <laughs> They didn't have to make that choice, but they did. So, well, kind of on the kind of on the tangent of voices, you know, we can talk about the fact that it's really in my head canon. This is how this works. Um, so, if you notice, all of the elders of uh, of this world, no matter no matter like how much older, uh, probably like once you hit thirty. Everyone over thirty has a British accent or a Scottish accent <laughs> or just not Scottish. an American accent, not like that standard American dialect. Yeah. Um, and everyone who's below the age of thirty totally has that standard American dialect. Um, and it's just, so in my head canon, uh, in uh, in Burke in this world, uh, there are two puberties. There's the first puberty where, like, you know, like, biology happens. And then there's a second puberty, like, when you turn 30, that, like, your your whole vocal nationality just changes. And you just go, you go either Scottish or British, and that that's how it, that's how it goes. Or Irish, because David Tennant apparently is in this movie, even though I... He's Scottish. I thought he was Irish. But, uh, anyway, um, so, so, yeah, so that's, that's my headcanon, uh... That's honestly my only issue with the voices. Okay, I lied. It's not. Um, <laughs> Kristen Wiig makes another appearance on this uh, podcast, and uh, I'm sorry that had nothing to do with my point I was about to make. Um, this, uh, we can talk about the kids though, because I got stuff there. Yeah, we can. We can. Yeah, go ahead. You know, uh, one more thing about Hiccup's voice. You said it gets better as the series goes on but i definitely think that that's just you getting used to it no i'll go off later about that 
Well, personally, uh, I like Hiccup's voice. I, not necessarily the voice itself, but just the fact that it is different. Because so often with these protagonists in animated films, they all just have the same like Disney princess or prince voice. Uh, singing voices as well as speaking voices. They just like to get the same sounds, and I'm so bored with that, and I'm glad we have something different here. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll agree Like the that. Zac Efron voice, that's how I think of it. I think Hiccup as a whole is a very unique um, protagonist, because normally your protagonist is, you know, that big, strong hero type, and Hiccup is very much not. Like, he's... Like, he is significantly smaller than the rest of his uh, Viking compatriots. He's got this young-sounding, nasally voice that's not intimidating, which, when you're a Viking, you kind of want to be a little intimidating. And it's a choice, and it's a choice that I really like, because I think it goes to show that, like, you don't have to be this big, tough-sounding guy to, you know, be able to stand up and stand up for yourself and you know be able to make a change for the better yeah i i get that and i i like i like that idea that they that they've done you know it's just the the voice itself just like personally <laughs> just the I voice just like but, that's fair but i do like how they they you know made a point with it very obviously so kind of going off what i was saying about um hiccup compared to the rest of the vikings I think he and Stoic, uh, Hiccup's dad, also are really interesting because they're virtually opposites of each other. Because, I mean, you've got Stoic, who is pretty much your stereotypical Viking. He's big, he's brawny. He's He's got the tough-sounding voice. He's Stoic, yeah. Um, He's a strong leader. And then you've got Hiccup, who is timid. He's quiet. He's young. He's just kind of hanging out. Uh, doesn't really want to get involved with all this Viking stuff, killing dragons. Well, it, at first he does, and then he meets a dragon. But <laughs> it, it's an interesting dynamic between them. Yeah, um, that's one of my favorite things about this movie is the dynamic between Stoic and Hiccup. You know, Hiccup's kind of a Jimmy Neutron. Like, he's kind of a wimpy boy genius. He's not... He's he's not into all the Viking stuff, and he kind of just wants to make things um, and be creative rather than be destructive like everybody else. Uh, he's still apprenticed to a blacksmith, so it's like manly, but uh, he's he's very much more of a creative than destructive personality, um, and that puts him at odds with his dad, who has certain you know typical expectations for him, and he's just not that kind of guy and he's not living up to it. I, I think that kind of plays into the reason they chose, I'm not going to say Jay, because I, I get that you don't like his voice specifically, Tristan, but I think that's kind of why they made him an American and his father is Scotsman or a Scot, I think would be the term is because you're trying to build up this separation between the two sides. And it's just another way for them to separate them and kind of signify that they are two very, very different people. Kind of, kind yeah. of going off of the point that uh, that Elijah just brought up about how about how we clearly see uh, this this broken dynamic of uh, of Stoic and his son uh, Hiccup. I mean, that's just a running theme uh, in uh, in these movies. Is that by and large, 
anyone from Hiccup's family, they just don't really know how to communicate all that well with each other. Um, communication is not is apparently not key with the, uh, they don't have last names, so with the Hiccup Stoic bloodline. Um, <laughs> oh, they do, actually. I saw they have uh, full names on Wikipedia when I was skimming the Wikipedia page like I always do. I yeah. saw that. I don't remember what it was, though. I love that though. It's it's the it's the father and son who really want to connect but have no idea how to do so. And, and like there's that scene where they're trying to sit down and talk about something and they just can't come up with anything and they're both they really both want to but they don't have anything. And I I, I really like that moment. I thought it was very very human, I suppose. Yeah, uh, from a brief look at the IMDb pages for all three, uh y- yeah, no, I don't say the last name. It might be in the TV show. I think it Maybe. might actually be. Oh, hey, I found it. Um, Hiccup's full name is Hiccup Horrendous Haddock the Third. That's right. Yep, I remember hearing that. Wait, so Stoic's name is actually Hiccup? Um, on Wikipedia, it just says Stoic the Vast, and we trust Wikipedia. Maybe he goes by Stoic, but he's technically Hiccup the Second. <laughs> how, right. how? How does? Uh... How do you get the name the Vast? What do you think happened there? The Vast. I mean, he's a he's a big guy, pretty vast. Okay, well. <laughs> I mean, I did know, you see his beard? It is very vast. You would get like the strong or the 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 tall, not the vast. So getting back uh, into the so getting back into uh, into the characters and their specific like roles in the story, I think going back into the topic of world building, I mean I think that's something that uh, we see across all three of these films is every single one of these characters has their has their specific mold that they fit. You know, you have Jonah Hill, who is the the brute, uh, the vain brute. Uh, you have T.J. Miller playing T.J. Miller, but more importantly, you have Kristen Wiig <laughs> playing the very loyal but very airheadish uh, person. Um, you have Chris Mintzplos, uh, who is going to. I'm sorry if I'm butchering his name, but um, but you have him who is the brains of the group and what's really interesting is all all of these kid characters they all have this archetype that they fit in but there's enough room left for all of them to experience character growth and i think you see that across you see that in this movie definitely but from the beginning of the first film to the end of the third film they all have fulfilled character arcs uh, and I think it's just really interesting to see because usually with a background character like that, you're usually just that. You're just your archetype. Uh, and I like the fact that this series as a whole uh, manages to flesh them all out. However, apparently, since all the hands went up, apparently that might not be the case for all of the uh, members of this podcast. So, Mike, go ahead. I agree and I disagree with you, Doug. I think in this film... They have very clear and defined single step kind of arcs, kind of less of a character arc and more of a character light switch. But <laughs> I think that works really well for what they're going for and the runtime that they're given in this film. Mm-hmm. The second, um, <clears throat> just going ahead, if we're talking about the sequels, since you mentioned them, uh, the second film they kind of touch on it. But I feel like by the third, they are a hundred percent sticky. They just they do their thing. They're in and out. They're doing a thing. And I feel like almost all of their character development happens in this first film. I think the one that you can make the exception for is Astrid. Yeah, I agree. Astrid is I a, a better okay. and more interesting character. <laughs> and I think she's 
I would say main cast, not so much supporting cast, really. Right. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm with Elijah on that. I don't. I wasn't going to group her in with that group. I <clears throat> I actually felt like the, the these friend characters were kind of just like st- straight up stereotypes in the first movie, but they got a lot of development. <clears throat> like in the, in the third one, particularly, I thought they got developed a good bit. And I, I think I saw them being used a lot, especially I don't remember their names. Sorry, but the one, the tw- the female twin, that's um, rough nut. No, that yeah, that's rough nut. Yeah. Okay. And like her whole thing in that movie was interesting to see, and there was more. Anyway, <clears throat> but <laughs> I just saw more from them later on than than what I saw in the first movie. Uh, in the first movie, I thought they were kind of cringy i guess i mean they, they were just it was just, it was just a cliche like it was just of course we have these stereotypical roles yeah they're not deep um and they don't have fantastic story arcs mm-hmm. but they're as fleshed out as they need to be to help tell this story yeah i think the big thing with the first one is that you really don't need the side characters that much like they're there to kind of uh present what the viking children should be like and then you've got Hiccup and Astrid, who are, like, the main ones. Um, but, like, the rest of them, they don't play, at least in my opinion, just that big of a role. Like, they hop on the dragons at the end to go uh, save everybody. But, I mean, it, it's mostly just Hiccup. And then as you continue through the films, they start to play bigger roles. Right. Being part of, like, the dragon recovery team. and Yeah, and that's what I'm talking about. Uh, in the first one, they, they just kind of felt like they... You know, they they, need, they needed some people for him to be against in the arena section. You know, where right. you had to. So, <clears throat> I, I I just I just didn't really like they could have I think they could have done that differently, but it ended up working out uh, as the series went on. Yeah, you mentioned them being uh, in an arena with him, which is definitely part of their function. And then they're also like supposed to be his classmates, as Gobber the blacksmith. I think that was his name. He um teaches them all the things they need to know about dragons and fighting dragons and gobber and the classmate characters are all kind of funny i mean i don't think of this as that funny of a movie but the jokes stick for me i think for the most part they're pretty funny i'm gonna disagree with you on that but that's the only point i'm gonna (laughs) make um i'm not gonna actually try to argue it Uh, i do want to just bring up this is just gonna be a very short point i think it's very interesting that Especially as we see going forward, we have very defined villain roles that are filled in both sequels. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's a really great thing that in this first movie, we don't really have a villain. Uh, I think... I'm not saying that that's totally unheard of in, in an animated uh, kids film, but I think it says something when you can pull off a fairly... Mm, I'll say suspenseful. It's not the word I mean, but I'll say suspenseful... Uh, action-packed. No, not even complex. Um, but like, but like a a very developed, action-packed kids film. I think it says something when you can do that without having someone who is your designated villain who you are designed to hate and dislike. I just think that's the credit of the writers and the filmmakers because... I I think more than anything, the situation is the antagonist of the film. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's the giant 
dragon at the end, but that's not really like a big, bad, evil guy looming large in the background the whole time. Uh, the main antagonist in the movie is really Hiccup's father. It's the kind of the running force behind this film is that relationship and how it develops and kind of gets pulled. And as, as you have some uh, kind of the whole fundamental basis is the son wanting to do something and believing something that is so against everything the father knows to be true is like, like Elijah said, it's, it's definitely strong enough, more than strong enough to, to need any sort of two dimensional antagonist thrown at it. And I think what makes this movie stand out particularly um, even compared to its sequels is that it has no villain. It is purely every single thing that happens is a result of these characters, their mindsets and their predispositions. Yeah. The dynamic between Hiccup and Stoic is engaging. Um, It's definitely one of the best things about this movie. And I love like stories with father son tension or any kind of generational parent child tension we've talked about that before a little bit this is one of my favorite movies and books is the road which is uh, very different from this but it's kind of, it's also got the sort of parent and child tension and some conversations that are kind of wrought with that conflict and that stuff i really like that stuff i think there's a lot of depth to those kinds of stories you know i think there's this thing that happens with every generation and i'm I have a hard time explaining this, but it's kind of like, I feel like every new generation, you know, they grow up loving this generation that raises them, and then they eventually get to this point where they resent the generation that raised them. Um, And you see a little bit of that in this movie. I don't want to say that it's an allegory because it's not. People throw around that word too much. (laughs) This is definitely not like that. I don't think this story is all that symbolic, but I do think there's some stuff there. Um where you know these the younger generation discovers that the dragons are more like them than they ever thought and their parents raise them to believe otherwise out of ignorance mostly the uh the generation that raised them didn't teach them to treat these dragons with respect you know and i think that kind of mirrors some things that we may have seen in our own lives where it's like you know we discover some I don't know, like a prejudice that the generation that raised us didn't even recognize. It was in a blind spot. And then we come to resent them for it. Um, But then there's also, you know, from their perspective, they loved us, the generation they were raising, and they were really just trying to do their best, you know. Mm -hmm. And they had blind spots that they should have been aware of, but they, for, you know, at least in their minds, they were always just trying to do their best and do what was right, for the younger ones and that's what stoic and his generation do they just want to protect their people from the dragons but then it's the younger generation that discovers uh the dragons aren't monsters they're you know hiccup says he looks at toothless and he sees himself and so the younger generation starts to see this and they kind of um or at least hiccup kind of resents the generation that raised them not to see that and that's where a lot of this tension comes from but there's also really beautiful resolution yeah, honestly, that scene where Stoic dives into the water to um, rescue Toothless, just beautiful. It's really well done. And I think the realism behind these films is a lot of the reason why uh, Tristan was referencing he doesn't quite get the hype. And I probably did overhype it because I was 14. I overhyped <laughs> everything. 
But the the thing that gets me is the realism of these films, something that uh, really paints this beautiful poetic picture and also simultaneously holds to the realism is at the end of the film when, um, because of the battle and the ensuing damage, uh, Hiccup loses a leg. And that's not something you see very often when it comes to animated films. There are not really stakes. In fact, like, hell, in the Avengers movies... Like, maybe a C character will get killed off, but nobody gets a scratch. You know what I mean? So, like, this this is a kid. He gets permanently maimed from this this attack. And not only does it really highlight the, the reality of the situation that they're in, it also paints this really beautiful symmetry between Hiccup and Toothless. Toothless having lost something and needing Hiccup in order to fly and Hiccup having lost his leg and needing Toothless to fly. And it's only in their unique, simpatico kind of relationship that they are able to thrive. And I thought that was just a really, really beautiful way of ending the film. Absolutely. You know, looking at the trailer or the poster for this movie, you might be tempted to think that Hiccup is just another white boy Marty Stew fantasy fiction hero guy because there's a lot of those it's almost always somebody like that um and it it hardly ever goes deeper than that um but this story is not like that i've talked about this before i talked about it on this podcast with um into the spider-verse and i mentioned being a teacher because this is one of those very teacherly things that we talk about if you teach uh language arts but um it's really important for children to see themselves in stories and it's important for adults too it it feels good for anybody to see characters they sympathize with but it's really valuable for people and especially young people to see protagonists and heroes that remind them of themselves that's pretty vital and hiccup is an amputee he doesn't start off that way, but, you know, by the end of this movie and throughout the rest of the movies, he's an amputee. How many of those heroes do you see? And especially in children's films. I mean, honestly, you don't get a lot of stories, period, where the main character isn't perfect. Like, I know in the past we've joked about Freddie Highmore always playing someone who is perfect. I think in a lot of media in general, especially media meant for kids... Whoever that protagonist is, they're perfect. And with Hiccup, we get someone who is very much not perfect. Like, he is stubborn. He is, like, physically, he's not perfect. He's weaker than everybody. He uh, is an amputee, which is a really cool thing to see. Because, I mean, like I just said, that's not something you see in media, especially for children. Yeah, you know, this kind of representation can, uh, unfortunately, often be or at least come across as pandering and even insulting, um, all in the name of supposedly doing the right thing. But it can be done very well. And I think How to Train Your Dragon, I mean, for, if you ask me, it seems like they treat this topic of physical disability and amputation with a certain level of sacredness, and I think they should. I think they do a good job with that. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things to where it, it's funny. It kind of feels like two steps forward, one step back, right? Like you have these interesting stories being told, like you said, with, with Hiccup and kind of adapting to situations and not seeing things necessarily as, as a damnation. But like 
uh, being able to adapt and overcome. Um, it's kind of frustrating, and, and this is something I've touched on a little bit in, in the Flea Pit, shameless plug, but the the thing is, it seems like studios are trying to get on board with the current zeitgeist, which is more representation, but instead of actually doing the thing they're being requested of doing, they're just doing, as you said, boring white guy with boring white woman. They're just gender swapping and then leaning hard, hard on those perfect characters and, and trying to pass that off as good media. And I think that kind of attests to the strength of How to Train Your Dragon. And I think the longevity of the series, if you look, that fan base is so strong even to this day. I, I think that's because they didn't give us Joe or John Smith or Mary Sue. They, they decided to tell a story with a character that felt real, that made mistakes, that paid prices for those mistakes and became a better person because of it. Yeah, this movie does a great job with a lot of things and uh, I think was rewarded for it. I don't have the Wikipedia page anymore, but I think it said this is like the 11th highest grossing animated franchise of all time or something like that. Isn't that right? It's up there. Yeah, I it's, believe it's it. very much up there. Yeah, I yeah, absolutely I, I, believe it. I'm, I'm pretty sure you're right. It, uh, it is a critical and commercial darling. Um, yeah. And it spawned TV shows, merchandise. Like it's, it's its own little Star Wars in a way that I think people do not... <laughs> fully um fully appreciate especially us we're we're about five to ten years removed from the target audience here at least um but it's it's one of those things where it's built its own phenomenon it's built its own platform to stand on i think well deservedly so all right let's rate this thing uh if this is your first episode uh first of all thank you for listening i hope you're enjoying it so far uh but yes on the show we use a one to 100 point scale you can kind of think of it like you're in an American grade school, A, B, C, D, F. Um, a 100 is as high as it can go. It is literally the perfect movie. Absolutely nothing is wrong with it. You cannot break the scale. We made sure of it this time. Uh, and then a 1 is an irredeemable pile of turds. So uh, I will go ahead and get us started. Um, I thought about this for a while because um, I really like this movie, um, but I I'm cautious about rating it too high because I think there are also a lot of movies that are better than this. So I'm going to give this an 88, uh, which is like a B plus, uh, which I think that it's very close to what I gave into the spider verse. And I, I, I just think it's really fitting. Uh, this movie is really great. Um, but I don't know that I would call it one of the greatest movies ever made. Okay. Uh, 91. I did not. I kind of surprised myself because I didn't expect to give this a higher score than Into the Spider Verse. I don't know mm-hmm. that I personally enjoy this more than Into the Spider Verse, but I, I remember that Into the Spider Verse had a very specific thing that I thought was a clear flaw in the movie that I just couldn't ignore, and it lost points. So I gave that a ninety. So I'm giving this a ninety-one. That's a solid A. Wow. All right, Tristan. Uh, I. I I have changed my I've changed my score. Uh, I had a score when I first watched it, and it's gone up. Um, but honestly, not by much. Uh, I give it a seventy-eight. Um, I think it's uh, I it's not quite as as good as in my opinion as like a, a lot of movies that do a sim that s- tell similar stories, do similar things with you know their their themes um 
but it, it was pretty, and it was all the things we talked about. <laughs> so that's how I arrived at 78. <laughs> all right. Nice. I think um, when it comes to this film, I obviously am heavily biased, but I have the luxury of not being a regular on this show. So my frame of, of I don't have to do 4D chess with my scores. Um, when not, it, yet. When, when, not yet. Not um, yet. When it comes to this movie, I genuinely think this is going to be considered one of the classics of its time. Not of necessarily of all time, but I think if you're putting together a list of children's movies in the, the aughts and in the teens or however we're going to come to refer to those two decades as. I think this is going to be top five, if not top three. I think the score is beautiful and frankly iconic in a non-Gen Z way. I think the the story is prescient and universal, and I genuinely think it's just one of uh, DreamWorks' fav- best films, if not their best film. Um, it's not perfect. I find some issue with the comic relief characters. They're a little bleh. They they kind of drag it down, but I I can't help but look back at this with ro- rose colored glasses. So I'm gonna give this a 93. Okay. And Doug, that just leaves you. All right. So I didn't plan on this being the way that I approach uh, grading our grading our movies that we did, um, but like I think I've figured out a way to at least in my head accurately like assign points to certain aspects of each film um so you know you get 30 points for the animation 30 points for the score (laughs) 10 points for uh 10 points for the acting overall i think the acting is phenomenal and i would say seven points for the story as a whole so that puts this movie right at a 77 um and uh yeah you know i think it's a really solid movie i don't think it's the best one in the trilogy that's fair. I I'm not gonna lie. I expected a higher score from you. That's fair. That's fair. I I wanted to mention also real quick, Mikey. You you said that this uh, may be a classic in the future, like as far as kids' movies go, and I, I I agree with you on that point. But I will say that we've talked about uh, classics uh, before on our last podcast, namely The Breakfast Club, and uh, well, uh, it it just. We had varying scores on that one. Um, yeah, I will say classics, film, not for Doug. Just as an addendum, um, being a classic film does not necessarily mean you're an amazing film. Right. I just wanted to yeah. make that point. I, I, yeah, I just want to acknowledge that I know that as well. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, after uh, plugging the numbers into our patented scoreometer, the scoreometer. Uh, Thank you for that. Yeah, uh, this movie grades out to an 85.4, which is a solid B, which I, I'm i good with that. I think that still means that I'm right, because uh, I think I gave the closest to that. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll go with that. All right, so Doug, what are we watching next week? Well, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to say, uh, coming into this month, don't walk alone. There was such a better way for me to do that, but I don't care. I'm going to go with it. Uh, uh, <laughs> starting next week, we're going to get into what I'm calling Horror October. I'll probably think of a better name for it, too, later on. But uh, we're watching horror movies all next month, because it's October. It's spooky times. Um, spooky. And we are starting off with one of the modern, what will become a modern horror classic. We're coming. At, we're starting off with the 2019 smash hit, Midsummer. Mm. So excited. 
I gotta sync oh, up my show so I get my thoughts. <laughs> so like <laughs> the flea pit will, will hit it up. <laughs> uh, but yeah, uh, that's gonna be a great time. Uh, be sure to join us again next week, where we will have yet again another special guest. But you'll have to tune in next week to find out who it is. Uh, in the meantime, you can keep up with all of the Viter Media products on vitermedia.com. Follow us on social media at Viter Media and tell your friends because we absolutely appreciate all the support you can give us uh, no matter how you're doing it. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you again for listening. Uh, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And I'm Michael. And this has been Setting the Scheme. Y'all have a great week. Uh-huh.